Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's Lost and Rendered. I was lost, and then I was rendered. I've always thought of this song, for the for the brief jobs I've had where I've had to do any type of video ed- editing, and something's rendering... Like oh yes, I remember your uh, your porn career. Yes, uh, this is the song. I think about this phrase all the time because I'm like, the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really know either. Because if it's lost, how are you supposed to know that it was rendered? I mean, I it's such a bad title, and then it's it's also kind of a lazy title because it's just essentially the first line of the song. Uh huh. And when he says it in the song, in the context of that line, I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, not anything that would like burn me up. Um, but he could have called the song a number of other things, and it would have been better. Sure. Yeah. Not to just like jump right into it. Lost, and you have a different haircut now. That's what they should have yeah. called it. I would be fine with that. Lost and underweight also fine with that lost and sleepy that, that, that tracks with me right now so yeah i would go with that yeah let's go with that one on our podcast as you were a podcast about alkaline trio his name is david anthony correct my name is tim crisp and i'm the host of this show as you were a podcast about alkaline trio where every week we talk about one alkaline trio song and this week we are talking about the ninth track from the sixth studio album from the Alkaline Trio, Agony and Irony. Woo! Released on July 1st, 2008. My friend David Anthony, this is where this is where our paths go separate for a little while before we find uh-huh. each other once again, as it's been well documented on our podcast, as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Correct. Agony and Irony was my falling off point with the Alkaline Trio. Yes. And, uh, and from my understanding of your story with this record, I I had wondered if you'd ever made it to this song before. If I have, I don't remember. So Fair. When I listened to it um Yesterday, for the first time, in getting prepared to talk about it on our podcast, as you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us this week on our podcast. I was like, "Yeah, maybe I've heard this song before," but I didn't. I didn't find any recognition, you know, in the, you know, how it got like lost, and then maybe it was rendered in such a way that I didn't recognize it upon hearing it this twelve years later. But, you know, you were there. I was there. You were about as there as one could be if they were not a member of the Alkaline Trio. Because you were a part of the Alkaline Trio universe, if you will. Yes, I mean, that's one way to put it in that I was uh, a member of their fan club, The Blood Pact, during this time. Um, Which I think we've talked about before, and it was a pretty cool thing. But... Unlike a lot of people, this was the first song I heard from the record, but not this version. Because when you were in the Blood Pact, one of the things they did 
like on the occult roots tour um which was the tour in 2006 where they played all of god damn it and then did a fan request set Mm. like that fan request set came from polls on the blood pact right so like there was some pretty direct stuff like Derek was really in the boards like occasionally like dan would pop in matt not so much but like you know you were and they would always post like grand this was very early 2000 you know mid 2000s internet so they would post these little like two to five minute long like behind the scenes clips of touring or them doing stuff like so there was all this kind of like you were kind of getting a peek behind the curtain right and Mm -hmm. when they were making this record they i would say it was probably the most active they were um on the blood pact where like Derek and Matt and Dan would write these studio updates to post to there so people could kind of keep tabs on it because I think they knew it was like their major label record and like I I think I don't think they were like consciously like, oh we're trying to win some goodwill but I think they they were excited and could tell people were interested so they were kind of giving more than they had yeah totally uh, and one of the things they did was aside from like written studio updates they would post like videos right of like here's Derek just recording drums to a song here's like dan playing a bass part you don't know what it is obviously here's matt like working on tones or like mm-hmm. singing shit that is out of context but the first thing they uploaded that was like really concrete was an acoustic version of lost and rendered and there is an acoustic version of lost and rendered that's on the deluxe version of uh agony and irony but it's not that version the one that was released is is pretty clearly just like matt playing an acoustic guitar kind of slower a little more mournfully and seeing the song whereas this version was Derek and dan playing acoustic guitar i think matt might have had a shaker for a little bit he does the hand claps and stuff so the first song i heard from agony and irony was them playing this song and it was pretty up-tempo and i was like huh that sounds pretty cool like i wasn't like that's the best alkaline trio song but i was like that's a pretty solid song Mm -hmm. like in that version i was like there's nothing about this that i really dislike it's cool that they like went out of their way to like as the band record this just to post to this little community and now thinking about it like 13 years later um it's pretty weird that this was the song they went with for that because yeah. it's kind of buried on the B side of this record. I don't think they ever played it very much. And then when I first heard the record, I was like, eh. but I was like, Oh man, I'm going to hear lost and rendered. And that song's good. And, and it's okay. But they threw in a lot of the sound effects that like really upset me at the time. I was like, man, like this song was good. You kind of didn't stick the landing. That totally. sucks. Yeah, um, I think it's worth noting just for this conversation that they're making this record for Epic after they had signed to V2 and then V2 folded shortly thereafter. So yeah, um, I guess in in some senses going from, well, obviously since one of them was still a record label, uh, six months after the band signed the deal, they did upgrade to Epic. But even mm-hmm. if V2 like stayed steady, it's hard to imagine they would they were doing anything uh, short of going up a rung without even having 
done anything. Epic is one of the biggest record labels in existence and has been yeah. for some time. Well, I mean, they have the opposite of the normal story, which is like band signs to, well, I mean, I mean, maybe this is their story, but they've never really talked about it this way. So I'm not going to presuppose, but like they signed to V2, which was ostensibly a major because it's like the white stripes were on V2 mm-hmm. and shit. And they were trying to have a stable of like cool bands that had kind of risen out of the underground. Um, and it was basically like mini Virgin records, right? Mm-hmm. But still, for all intents and purposes, it was that label. Going to Epic, from their standpoint, it has to be an upgrade. Because like when V2 folded, they either could have just been like, all right, I guess we're going to go back to Vagrant or Fat or Epitaph, whatever. But then it's like, oh, Epic signed us. Granted, it was like a one record deal, but it's like, all right, let's like see, you know, like. I think without getting signed to V2, I don't know if they would have ever been put in that category of band, you know? Totally, totally. So, like, to them, I'm sure it's like, all right, we've got a big opportunity. We are excited about it. Like, we feel like we're writing good songs. Let's go. But a lot of bands who have that story is like, well, we signed to who we signed to DreamWorks and then DreamWorks folded and then we were on RCA and RCA didn't give a fuck about us. Right. And I do think there is a little bit of like, I don't think Epic gave much of a fuck after the record was out, mm-hmm. but I think there was definitely a push in the lead up to it. Yeah, definitely. And they, I'm assuming are working with a pretty crazy budget because they're working with Josh Abraham, who the year before Agony and Irony comes out, produces I'm Not Dead by Pink and uh, Atreyu, Death Grip on Yesterday, Um, but a pretty fascinating one within, you know, bands like 30 Seconds to Mars and fucking Velvet Revolver. Yeah, I mean, I think it's weird to reminisce on that time because shit was so disparate, Mm -hmm. you know, like there was that kind of, like you mentioned Atreyu, who were definitely very popular for coming out of that, like, I don't even know what to call them, like second wave OC metalcore thing. Um, I think by then, then it was just like scene music. Yeah, Remember scene? Yeah. Yes, I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, I have vivid memories of being in high school and kids who were like, this is hardcore. And I'm like, no, like minor threat is hardcore. And they're like, no, that's just fast punk. And I'm like, I don't know how to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, or like, even like I rem- I was that annoying kid in high school like when all that type of shit was happening like even with Fallout Boy I was like oh you like Fallout Boy that's cool um they named a song after a Braid's record label that they started you should check out Braid and then it's like they don't fuck with any of that or like with those type of kids who are into a trade and stuff I'm like hey like have you heard like Botch or like Dead Guy and there's nothing yeah whatever Atreyu was like, I think I was just on the cusp. I think I was just a little bit too old, though some friends of mine did get sucked in. I think From Autumn to Ashes was a bigger one because I believe it was an Alkaline Trio show that that they yeah. opened. Everyone was like, that guy plays a double kick drum and he sings. That's crazy. And I'm like, okay, but... Yeah, I, I never digress. got into much of that stuff really at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, there were some bands, like, I remember some of my friends being into, like, Bleeding Through, 
Sure. And like their first record, I was like, oh, this has some like a song or two. Like there was stuff that I wasn't like fully repulsed by, but like the Atreyu, uh, like Butt Rock, 18 Visions. Yeah, was that was kind of like, like really not my thing. Whole lot of neon. Um, yeah, side prints on everything. It was uh-huh, just, it was a weird uh-huh. time. Um, so the reason I mentioned Josh Abraham um, in this context is that I think a really good uh, link for looking at like what the Alkaline Trio is doing is Josh Abraham produces two unwritten law records elva mm. in 2002 and here's to the morning in 2005 and unwritten law i don't think they had anything that like really broke but they were getting heavy mtv2 play with that yes. single seed in red and that one and um there was uh there was another song from that record up all night yeah I, no, those, so, wake up on, call. Like, like save, yeah, would, me, save me. Wake up call is the song. I would hear yeah. those songs on Q101 somewhat regularly too. I, mm-hmm. I like I I owned that one unwritten law CD. Not here's in the morning. I think it was called like a Elva or some shit. Yeah, yeah, um, that was 2002. And I actually a, a mutual friend of ours. Uh, this came up a couple of years ago, but he like really likes that here to the here's to the morning record, and you would not expect it. But mm-hmm. I'll leave that a mystery. Um, and I went back to it and I was like, yeah, there's like four good songs. And I think that that's the type of band they were. They were like a four good song band. Totally. It's interesting because they're like, they come out of like the scene where like Blink-182 comes from, that San Diego scene. And I always associate them with like Punkarama compilations, but Unwritten yeah. Law was a uh, was on like Interscope since 1996 or whatever yeah i mean i think it's they were very skate punk when skate punk was the thing to be and clearly got signed as like a you're gonna be our blink 182 that didn't happen and then they were kind of in that cusp of like getting a little moodier getting a little darker and not necessarily like in a super deep meaningful way but like that's what they were going for and kind of they're strangely lost in that time i remember pretty vividly watching because i was young uh the espies the espn award show oh hell yeah and did you watch the musical guest who closed it no way and also they i remember because they also cut to fat mike on the red carpet because he wore pajamas to the (laughs) award show (laughs) oh man that was um must have been a big year for the X Games. Oh, I'm sure. Weirdly, weirdly, um Unwritten Law has one of those 20th Century Masters collections. You know yeah. those best of compilations yeah. with like the gray on yeah. top? Yeah. It's the it doesn't track, but it's true. Well, cuz yeah, I remember those just being in Best Buys and like Borders books. Yeah. Just, everywhere. Yeah, like like Diana Ross, 20th century. Yeah, it'd be like the Temptations get, right. and then fucking Unwritten Law. Yeah. You get 12 songs, and with the Temptations, none of them come off of the psychedelic era. Anyway, the Alkaline Trio, Agony yes. and Irony, big time budget. They're working with the type of produ- producer who's going to decide that 
these are the guitar tones that we want for this song, and maybe we should have a clock go off. That's really what hurts this song so much for me, is it's like, this record has a lot of it. This addiction has a fair amount of it. It's a little more buried and I guess a little more tasteful, but it's it's what I call like their sound effects stuff where it's mm-hmm. just like it's like when you went to E Bomb's world and would like prank call someone with the Chris Farley soundboard. It's basically like that, but on a record, and I just really don't like that. Um Who is your daddy and what does he do? Exactly. Um Yeah, I I think that was the thing is hearing the song for the first time, I was like I'm a cop, you idiot! (laughs) It's not a tumor. Um, (laughs) Yo, shout out. uh, It was a tumor. They took it out of your neck. Yeah, there's still another one, so it's fine. Um, But anyway, (laughs) there was the the first time I heard it, after hearing a version of it that I liked quite a bit, I was like, hmm, that bass tone's really weird. That like, like very distorted... And I was like, not what I expected them to do with this, but okay. And then the verse kicks in and it's a little more straightforward where I'm like, okay, okay, that's an odd thing, but I'm with it. Chorus hits, I'm with it. And the chorus ends and I'm like, oh no, oh no, no, no. <laughs> and I, I, for a long time kind of resented this song. Cause I'm like, man, they fucked up what was an otherwise like good kind of straightforward track. Like why they got to do that. Yeah, I think that the clock, it's like it starts and you're like, oh, no, at each tick, each tick, it's just counting down to the inevitable ring, ring, ring. And you say, no, but for me listening to it, yeah, that was that was a fucking weird move. And I didn't like the guitar tones. And I mean, I still don't. It's not like mm. something that I would listen to. Um, it, it wouldn't come uh, with things that I normally like. But I was kind of down with it just because I felt like they were really leaning into something here. And yeah. it's it seems to be like, you know... Um, th- I think that we, we've talked about this a lot, that there's this balance of the big studio recording embrace and then the push away from it and they've never really well if you listen to my podcast road to the skeleton coast this past week with brandon kelly uh we talked about crimson and and his big thing on crimson is that it's the best of the embrace of larger studio recording with like that early energy and this is one where they're going further into that big studio recording thing and this is a full embrace and i know that this record really has some like shoddy moments of them trying to embrace Mm -hmm. the big studio and maybe not ever fully committing but those guitar tones were like yeah that's what a fucking dumbass radio like producer who fucking made a velvet revolver record would do and i'm kind of here for it because i'm kind of down with this track i mean that's the thing is it doesn't bristle with me i think there are Again, I, I echo all your sentiments. This isn't what I would normally reach for, normally like out of uh, kind of guitar tone and stuff, but it doesn't 
fully bother me because mm-hmm. I think to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, it doesn't feel as synthetic and processed as some of the like other stuff that was happening around it, like the metal quarry kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I even think like <clears throat> to draw a comparison to a band that found themselves in a similar setting, but was much more successful AFI, um, like December underground, the guitar tones on that sounds so awful uh-huh. to me. I don't like that record really at all. Like I kind of fall off well before that, but like I had a friend who was like, Oh, you got to try it. It's pretty good. And I listened a few years ago and was just like, Oh, like there was just, it was just so chunky. They were trying to make everything sound so heavy when it didn't need to. And this just sounds a little more authentic, like a, a, a very, very cleaned up, like, you know, squeegeed version of what Alkaline Trio does. And it's like, that's fine. It's very funny to me that we have not gotten to what I think is arguably the best song on the record proper yet, uh-huh. because I really want to hear what you think of that one, because there are issues, I think, with the guitar tone more than anything else. Like, I, I feel like the drums sound really good, and though I kind of bristled at, like, the the heavy bass part in this, um, maybe that's a synth even, like... Uh, I think the bass sounds pretty good through a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, it's obviously very clean and doesn't have Dan's signature, but I'm like, it, tone tone wise doesn't bother me. But yeah, this song is just like, it, it only doesn't bother me because I like what is here kind of at the core so much. I think that something that we are pretty consistent about in talking about this topic in particular, the studio stuff, is that we're into it when the material is working. And I think that this is an interesting one to look at in comparison to the songs that are surrounding it because Mm -hmm. Live Young, Die Fast, I think was episode number three it was this. very early on, yeah. And that was the uh that was the first of David's got a lot of things to say episodes. Yeah, I mean, I still really dislike that song. Like I, I there are times I feel like I've either gone way too hard or maybe not hard enough on some of the more modern stuff. Mm-hmm. But that one I like I fully think is one of their worst songs. And then like, Lo- Love, Love, Kiss, Kiss follows it, and that's no freaking, uh, yeah, not winning any prizes. So yeah, and that's that's also one that's purely just like so corny lyrically. That's what sinks it. It's it's like musically, I don't find it that abhorrent, but it's just like so cloying. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh fuck. So uh, yeah, you, so you've got um, you've got a lot of baggage with. This song in particular, I'd say, with Mm -hmm. the songs that are preceding it, which are just breaking your heart, and then you're hearing this one, and this kind of happens to everybody, where the first version that you hear of something is usually the one that you latch on to the most, and then what you get is very different from that first version. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is also, to, to wrap more context around it, is prior to this album, they had that song Fire Down Below on the Warp Tour comp, and I I believe we've talked about that song. I don't um, think we have, actually. I can't remember. Either way, I do quite like that one, and this song feels like a 
spiritual cousin of that a little bit mm-hmm. um, where I hear, especially the bridge feels like very similar. Um, and I was kind of like, okay, that's the type of thing they're going to do. Like, I didn't know if fire down below was going to be on the record, but I was like, in my mind, I'm like that song pretty good. Mm-hmm. This song pretty good. Agony and irony is going to be different, but still in my lane. And then I hear this and it's just, it, it misses on all the marks. Like all the things I thought it would be and thought it would do, it doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's tough. Cause you feel that kind of knee jerk disappointment. And I've been able to like, obviously go back and not, uh, with, um, with the benefit of time and a more open mind, be able to appreciate some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just like, this is not the type of thing, like a record like agony and irony, I only really own that one. There's not a other music like that that I'm like actively buying. Like this is a record I only checked out because it is them, you know? And there does become that weird wrinkle of like, am I only forgiving of it because it's them? Or is it like, you know, it, it does it actually stack up with other stuff? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a song that if, if this song became a radio song, this was something that you heard on alternative radio. And I guess from my standpoint of being disconnected from this band a little bit, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm driving around and then I hear this song from the alkaline trio on Q one one, which is the alternative station in Chicago, I'm like, huh, alkaline trio. How about that? This is, uh, not, my alkaline trio but this is this totally works on that in that format it's just a shame that it didn't get there totally and i mean i think that's the thing is i think that's what leads to their struggles in the 2010s is the the failure of this record and them not really trusting themselves anymore Mm -hmm. where it's like i would put this record above this addiction because this addiction feels so lifeless and like we just want to have people like us again, who cares? We want to have a career. Whereas this, like they were to your point, like they were making, they were taking swings. They were trying for something. Do they land it? Not always. Um, actually quite minimally, I think on this album, Yeah. but at least they fucking tried it. I can't really fault them for that. Uh, and I think that's, that's the weird thing that I think kind of crops up when you're talking about bands that come from punk with people who also come from punk is that a lot of times they're just dismissive of the fact that they even tried. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm like, well, if you're going to do it, at least fucking commit to the bit. Yeah. You know? As yeah. opposed to just like totally fumble around. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think that it is worth pointing out that if like, I think that part of it is also a product of the benefits of time. Like, I think that you're, retro retroactively maybe fitting that in a little bit not to say that you're being dishonest (laughs) i mean because like at the time like there was afi and rise against and Mm -hmm. a lot of those bands yeah but you don't like those bands well i mean i like afi through sing the sorrow but like i never talk shit about them yeah for sure like i never talk shit about rise against my line was always like i would rather them than 30 seconds to mars Mm -hmm. also produced by josh abraham 
exactly. And like, <laughs> my opinion was like, I would rather people, I would like, my thing was like, I would rather Alkaline Trio hit and then people get into them and then find other good stuff than get into fucking Atreyu. Yeah, totally. And I, and that was always my line. Like when that big Rise Against record came out, um, Suffer and the Witness, I was like, yeah, I don't really care. I don't really like this, but it's like, this is a big record, big, produced by Bill fucking Stevenson mm-hmm. from dudes who like at that time were still playing like secret unannounced shows at the Metro where they would cover like Minor Threat and Black Flag songs. I'm like, I would in a million universes choose that over what the other option is. What do you, you think know? of Against Me's new wave? Hated it. <laughs> But that, that that proves your point more than mine because that record's just not very good. Yeah, but even them, like, the, but here's the thing. The difference is that Rise Against, AFI, Alkaline Trio, I, I'm sure there are others I could list. None of them made a big, like, we're an independent band type of thing. Yeah, for sure. That was never part of the contract with any of them. Mm-hmm. They just made their music. It was what it was, and they got to certain heights. So I couldn't i was not going to personally shit on that but with against me it was different they made a whole fucking hour and a half long documentary about how they weren't going to sign to a major label release that and then sign to a fucking major label (laughs) like there is a difference between like uh, in the parlance of our times like false virtue signaling Mm -hmm. and then just kind of being a person totally and i've just always felt like the major label thing it's like well all you motherfuckers are still worship bands that are on Matador Records, which has been majority owned by a major label since the 90s. So if you're going to throw shit at Alkaline Trio, like, be consistent. You think Mat- You think Matador Records had all that money for Guided by Voices to spend it all on beer? Um, I, I think that it is, it is funny to look at the the different scenarios that you have going with the alkaline trio and all of these bands, because it's like my chemical romance, AFI rise Mm -hmm. against and against me. Like they get to the position that they get to based on, I mean, maybe against me, like is not, not fully like in with those three, but it's like there are songs that put yeah, those yeah. three bands into into this place. And Alkaline Trio, we've talked about this a lot. They have so many songs that are like close to being the song. And they reach a point on Vagrant where it's like, okay, now they're on V2, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a major subsidiary. And then V2 just folds and then they just like, find themselves on epic they're there but it's almost like it's like well what else are they gonna do at this no, point totally. and i feel like this record is kind of like what else are we supposed to do well and i think that's the thing is i think there's also a difference between those scenarios where it's like i mean i think one could argue that afi is kind of the one that opens the floodgates for that again kind of like green day did in the 90s mm-hmm. um where they kind of hit you know, they were the first, I think Singasara was on DreamWorks and that was a pretty big record. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, December Underground debuted at number one. Like, crazy. They were big. Mm-hmm. Rise Against, I think, wasn't that different, but there's a, the difference between all of that 
is that those bands, I don't really remember the critical consensus around them. I remember the people in the underground not really vibing with it, though I think like each of them wrote some pretty decent songs. Um, and my, my thing was always kind of that like harm reduction thing of like, I would rather this than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when they were still kind of operating within their respective scenes, yeah. you know, and, and working with people in, in the underground and like taking out those kind of bands, like AFI taking out like fucking hot water music as the main support on the sing the sorrow tour is like a, a move that surely didn't do much for hot water music, you know? Right. right. But that's what they did. Or like years later taking out Dillinger escape plan and ceremony, you know, like, or rise against taking out touche amore, you know, like there is a, I saw that a tour. Yeah. Like there's a whole thing with that, but the difference is like those bands had actual success and apologies to against me, but they had critical success, which clearly didn't do fuck all for them long term. That yeah. means spins album of the year did nothing mm-hmm. like them and alkaline trio largely playing the same rooms and alkaline trio's record failed a lot harder yeah i think that like against me's against me's rise was fucking pretty pretty meteoric in comparison to the alkaline trios like the alkaline yes. trio like reaches a height very quickly but they really stay within a contained universe Mm-hmm. And it's like they don't bust out of that ceiling like following Crimson. It's just kind of like they reached the actual point. And I feel like they're just given this like, like, all right, kind of conciliatory. Is that the word? Uh, Like shot at making yeah. a major. But it's not like they're given a a contract that's like we believe in your ability to keep going and i think that they just didn't really have much momentum going into this record and plus like it's wild that this is a three-year gap between mm-hmm. agony and irony and Crimson. i would love like a two-hour like conversation that's just like yeah. about that time because that's such a long period of time for this band. And the fact that there's so many duds on this record is really, really interesting considering the fact that they were churning out so much so rapidly. I mean, I think it's just interesting because when you really look at it, it's like if Crimson was their major label record in 2005, I imagine we'd be telling a different story. Um, mm-hmm. but Dude, it's not like, uh, like think about if, if some of the songs from remains like were on yeah. this, like that's, that's another thing too, is like they're following crimson, but they're also following remains, which I think if you put, if you ask people to pick one release from the alkaline trio to take with them to a desert Island, most people would probably pick remains. I mean, for the sheer volume and quality of material, like, how could you not? And I think you have this weird period of time where, like, 2005's Crimson, they tour pretty hard on that. They do Mm -hmm. a My Chemical Romance support tour, which is big. 2006, they do that Occult Roots tour playing All of Goddammit with Against Me, both bands about to, like, be sucked up into that world. 2007, Remains comes out. There's some, like, you know, and they're kind of starting work on this record. Um, but they're also in label limbo 
for a while. Like, it's not like they were not being an active unit, um, but it was just like, I mean, I think the thing is, like, if Crimson came out in 2005 on a major along, uh, in that same breath where My Chemical Romance is, they would be, it would elevate them to that echelon that we're talking about a lot in this episode. But unfortunately, yeah, uh, (laughs) stuff just falls a little short, you know? Yeah. Yes, totally. Um, as, as I have thought back on what I just said, don't quote me on the fact that remains are going to, is going to be the one that people take with them to a desert island. This shit just falls out of me. I don't even know if I believe that, but the point being there. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that either way. So, um, I mean, we've actually talked a lot around this song, but haven't really gone in on it too hard other than like the the sounds of it. I really dig the way that this track starts. I love the verses, especially those second halves with the guitars picking up because that build mm-hmm. on those octaves really actually i think that was the moment where i was like oh this guitar tone is actually tight because it works really well right here there's such a great drive to that there the guitars just sound huge i mean i would say that's probably the best part of the song Uh huh. which is tough but true yeah i mean i like the chorus you seem to not as much um yeah, I I think that was we talked about that in pre-pro. Um, fucking, you, you'll never learn, will you? Pre-pro, they don't hear pre-pro. I'm fine with that. Um, but yes, I don't like the chorus very much, as I mentioned before we started recording. Um, yeah, I think that it it starts it starts with a good hook, and then the pickup after that. Um, you know, what does he say? What does he say really big? He says, uh, can anybody hear me? Is mm. anyone else? when you know that pickup is okay, but you know, he's got two of those in there, and after the second one, you know, it just kinda like meanders a little bit. It's it's too wordy. And I mean, I'm looking at this in terms of like what you're trying to do is put a song on to major radios that can anybody hear me that's a good hook for people listening to it in their car but the stuff after it's like yeah okay i don't think it ends super well yeah i mean i think my issue with it is i like his vocal performance i feel like the haze and kind of claps and stuff are really thrown in in a way that doesn't really serve it dude that hey is like not doing anything but it's also like if it's not there, I get why they felt they need to put something because it feels like there's something missing. Right. And I think that speaks to your point is like, I think it isn't strong enough, but I think those things, I think it's why I favored that acoustic version that like literally doesn't exist anymore is because those things felt more natural in the acoustic setting, but don't really translate to the big rock band setting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what the issues that this record runs into are, is that like they were written and conceptualized a certain way and not, finalized that way totally and i think that's that's a difficult place to be yeah because it's like you don't have you don't have training for that you can no. you can think in those terms and i think you know can anybody hear me it's a great call out 
Yeah. You just have to know how to like follow it up with something that's engaging and the fact that what you have is something that really needs a little bit of it just has a little bit of space left over where it's like oh, we got to put something here. There's not much memorable that happens after either of those call outs. No, and I think that's the problem. And I don't dislike the bridge. Like I said, it feels like a callback to fire down below. I like the can anybody hear me stuff that's just at the end. I think it's a good outro. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a song that's just so close. And I think that was always my frustration with it is I'm like, you guys came so close to doing it. And it's it's not a bad song, mm-hmm. but it's not a great song either. Yeah, I mean, if this if this record like comes together a little bit better this is a great third fourth single like i don't mind its placement where it is y'all know i fucking love a ninth track i love a big Mm. ninth track it's the left of the dial spot and i think that that's what it is that's what they're shooting for here they're like trying to get that big like pick me up towards the end um And, you know, I think that arguably this is something that could go in, like, the three spot. It's got enough strengths to it. Yeah. But it's it's just missing something. And I think that that something that it's missing is enough to make it, like, not a good three and a pretty okay nine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of the tale of this record. And I think this band from this record onward you know, is that most of the stuff is just kind of close to good, Mm -hmm. but not really hitting it and not really hitting it in ways that I think put a lot of people off. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to be honest. And I think that is what new wave suffers from on both these records. I will say like, there are some songs that I really enjoy and a lot that I'm like, you got to in your own head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's oh, I just really want to like psychoanalyze that that period of time between Crimson mm-hmm. and Agony and Irony because to me it seems like there's a lot of time to really get in your own head about what yes. you're writing. And, and I'm sure they did. I think that this band, like they're at their best when they're fucking shooting from the hip fifteen minutes spent on their best songs. Like, well, those are the ones. Tie, that, yeah. To tie it to your other podcast, like Dan makes a Falcon record in between those, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And like that, it's just so interesting to place him in that point in time. Totally. You know? Because it's like, he's making this very just kind of like fun, like not overthought, throw everything at the wall record mm-hmm. that works and then is trying to make a record that's very stylized and it's it's odd yeah yeah it really is um i think that it's you know it's it's unfortunate because i think that timing it's fucking everything here and Mm -hmm. like if there was a there was a machine put into crimson like you've been saying i think that you're right i think that that's a record that would have fared so much better with the epic PR machine behind it. I mean, just thinking if, if time to waste and mercy me, like had a lot of money put behind them, we might be talking about a very different band 
in uh, 2020, but that's not what happened. And that's part of the story. And I think it's a story that largely exists behind closed doors, which I think is what makes it very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not really a, no one's really dug into that because those things didn't really work. Totally. Totally. Um, real quick before we give our ratings, I just, I need to point out um, in the second verse, creatures of the night, creatures of the night are, uh, what the WWF used as a term to refer to Undertaker fans. So really, yes. Huh. What do you rate this song? Give it a three. I give it a three as well. Um, you know, I I think I I think that we both did a good job to like really meet it at where it is. Um, mm. For you, that took a lot of work. and and we we applaud your efforts um and for me you know i think my scope of agony and irony has been pretty well formed at this point talking about this record song by song um in you know in containment for each one but putting the pieces together as we go i think that this really fits the bill for agony and irony as just being a record that they shot their shot, but they didn't really have much behind them when they were there to like finally put forward something that had the aspirations that this record seemed to have. Mm-hmm. So this has been a, f- a thrilling edition of As You Were a Podcast about Alkaline Trio. Much deeper than I thought we would go on this one, but uh, you know. Well, here's the thing, David. I I'm used to seeing you more often. True. And I mean, we started this whole thing way back when it was like we we walked to the L train from my mm-hmm. house. Like you came over to my house, and yes, correct. and we just we were hanging out. We were talking. We got burritos, and we talked about doing this podcast. And it was an excuse for us to do something a little bit different to just sit and talk like the fucking homies that we were then and mm-hmm. uh and and become greater homies as time has gone by True. and uh I miss having you over to my house to talk about this stuff but uh, one day I was talking to my mom today happy mother's day to all the mamas um I was like, well, I get to record with David today and it's it is nice cuz we we do just have a a standing Sunday date to just yes, talk this is true. and catch up and discuss this band and we're all happy to have you out there, all of you out there joining us in on the conversation and we invite you to follow the show on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Rate us. Write a review. I saw some reviews. David, they were nice. nice. They were nice. We appreciate those of you who have reviewed in a uh, less combative sense. And we appreciate all of you, especially those who have stuck around for so long. We've been doing this now for hundreds some episodes. That's a lot of weeks. And we Mm -hmm. took some weeks off in between um but we're gonna keep on rolling with 
things as they go and getting together once a week to talk about this band who we love and we love them for so many reasons. And honestly, records like this are a, in hindsight, they, uh, they kept them, they kept them close for us. And we got to, uh, we got to keep them as ours rather than share them with, uh, all of the AFI fans that are out there. True. So we'll be back next week to talk about another one. We got a Patreon, patreon.com slash as you were. You can uh, pledge there. Give us a few bucks a month to help keep things going. And we got some cool stuff in exchange for that. We just did a really dope tournament over there. And we got another thing that David and I have been working on this week that we're going to jump in on. And yeah. Love to all you out there. We um, hope that these find you well, and we will see you next week. Thanks, folks. Bye. Boy, you give a freaking mouse a microphone, huh? It just goes and...